This is the Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Hindu's Books podcast. And I'm KC Vijayakumar, sports editor of The Hindu. In the latest episode of The Hindu's Books podcast, I'll be in conversation with author Neha Sinha. Her latest book, Wild and Willful, is a wonderful treatise on wildlife literature. In fact, it can be considered as one of the finest exposition of wildlife literature. Neha lucidly chronicles diverse species ranging from the elephant to tiger butterflies, draws wonderful pen portraits of these species and makes all of us aware of their inherent vulnerabilities. This book should be a must read for any nature lover. Hi Neha, welcome to the Hindu's Books Podcast. Thank First you up, for having me. It's our, it's our pleasure. First up, Wild and Willful is a splendid book. To do a wildlife book blending empathy, aesthetics and the right word, often lyrical isn't easy and you tick all those boxes. How did this, how did this book first germinate within you? I think this uh, book has been in me for a long time and thank you for the kind words. I... Uh, I didn't want to write a doom and gloom book. I didn't want to yeah. write a book that was a bleeding heart book. Yeah. Uh, because I think there's a lot of doom and gloom associated with environment and a yeah. lot of grief and sorrow. I, I wanted to write a book that, uh, you know, can have both the wonder, you know, the wonder, the beauty of nature, along with the worry that we have for it, but kind okay. of like in equal proportions. And I think a lot of us um, look at nature as a form of solace, as a form of healing, as, okay. a, as a beautiful thing, a pure thing. And a lot of us look at nature uh, as something that is gone forever. So I just wanted to capture both those dimensions. And I also yeah. wanted to be sure that it should be really good writing. I didn't want to just do scientific, you know, mm. writing. So okay. I wanted to combine a literary approach with nonfiction. Okay. And that's how it took a long time to find that tone, you know, in okay. it and kind of doing a little bit more show than tell. I'm mm. not telling anybody what to do. I'm not prescribing how to do conservation. But okay. just kind of trying to show that, you know, this animal has value, you know. Okay. And uh, trying to show that in a way that's literary, that's, that I hope is well written. So that yeah. was really the, the, the approach that I had. Okay. This, this, it's interesting. The secondary title for your book is Tales of 15 Iconic Indian Species. Now, how did you arrive upon this structure? I mean, wherein you do, this, do these wonderful portraits of the diverse species in India, highlight their current plight focus on both their beauty and vulnerabilities and also draw in the threats that bind us to them. And how did you go about this? Yes. You know, uh, when we think about wild animals in India, I think the first thought that comes is the big ones, right? The tiger, yeah. the tiger in the yeah. forest, the elephant, 
you know, elephants in temples even. And, yeah. uh, uh, but, you know, we actually shared our lives with many kinds of animals in India, yeah. including the racist macaque monkey that comes to, you know, uh, comes to our cities, that opens our fridges, that slaps people. It slapped my mother. It's there in the book. And uh, yeah. uh, along with a whole host of birds and snakes. And I think I definitely wanted to capture the really critically endangered species that perhaps no one has heard of. Because I think yeah. there's very little time left, like the great Indian bustard that lives in the Thar Desert, the yeah. white-bellied heron that lives in Arunachal Pradesh. Um, yeah. But I also wanted to capture the common species, the ones that are much more common. I didn't yeah. want to have a hierarchy. I didn't want to okay. say that, you know, uh, this is the tiger, which is this beautiful animal everyone knows, and I'm only going to talk to you about beautiful animals. I wanted to talk about animals that we actually encounter in our lives and often animals that we hate. And that's why we have Magar, Magar Much, which, you know, yes. it's this big animal. I don't think anybody thinks the Magar Much is charismatic. Uh, and, you know, it's there in yeah. a lot of places in India. It's there in the canals. It's there in the village ponds. It's there. In reverse, and the Statue of Unity was made. One of the first things yeah. the Gujarat government did is that moved uh, Magarmach from the Statue of Unity site to another place, another reservoir, mm -hmm. because they thought that, you know, there would be conflict. And yeah. I wanted to ensure that we have a mix of species that are both awe-inspiring and people generally like, as well as the ones that we kind of don't like, the ones that we find mm -hmm. ugly or not appealing, like, you know, the king cobra or even the cobra, yeah. you know. Every time okay. we see a snake, we say, let's kill it because it's going to okay. bite us. I, I wanted yes. to kind of bust those, some of those myths. And basically the book is what the animal needs. It's basically a portrait of each wild yeah. animal and what it needs. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, to add to what you've just answered, I mean, generally when you talk about wildlife in India, you get these stereotypes, you know, tigers and elephants. Uh, you do acknowledge these yeah. uh, magnificent animals in your book. But at the same time, you do a hat tip to the others, ranging from leopards to amur falcons, the great Indian busted, the tiger butterflies. Uh, you flip between the jungle and our urban landscapes. Uh, it's a thread that I also see in your tweets too. You know, it's like wake up citizens, gaze out of your windows, step into the gardens. You seem to say, I mean, it's an inference from my end. Could you speak about this approach? Yes. You know, I, I really think nature is not something that's very far away from us. You know, uh, we eat yeah. uh, food that comes from the soil. We drink milk that comes from a cow's stomach. And, you know, we yeah. are actually animals, right? But we tend to forget that. Yes. And when we're living in cities, yeah. we don't really yeah. have an interface with nature. We, we just talk about nature if it's hot or cold that day, you know. The moment you step out in the cities, which you would have done being a sports person, uh, you would know exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Nature is frightening. Nature is an agent in your life the moment you're outside the city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're near the sea, then the sea can be scary. If you're in the mountains, then, you yeah. know, the, the, the sunlight is pitiless, absolutely. So I think uh, we forget in cities that, you know, that there's something known as nature, but there's so much nature in cities as well, because there are corridors depending on which city you're in. So if you're in Chennai, the sea is playing a role in your life. And if you're in Delhi, yes. Himalayas plays a role in your life. When it snows in the Shimla, it's really cold in Delhi. When there's a hot flue in Thar Desert, it's really hot in Delhi. And what I'm trying to say is that yeah. nature is interwoven in our lives, even in the cities. And because we most of us live in cities, I think it's important to start somewhere. 
and i okay. grew up in a city myself so my field work takes me very far from cities but my first bird okay. was a really common bird you know it was the red whiskered bulbul in my garden okay. and uh, for okay. many of us you know uh, who are consuming books uh, it's yes. common birds and common animals in cities that is our first yes. wild thing that we see and cities yes. need to have nature we kind of need nature in cities more than nature needs us because we need trees to buffer our noise pollution we need parks to walk in and i think covid has yeah. also shown us that the last chapter in the book love in the times of covid yes. you know it was such a 2020 was such an alienating year for all of us we were all anxious depressed and yeah. i think the parks were so full of people people were looking out of their balconies as well people were doing balcony birding people were rearing butterflies in their in their gardens they were growing flowers and taking yeah. a walk to their nearby park as much as they could any city you go to in any part of the world the parks are always full and i think it's yes, because I we know. actually do love nature but we kind of tend yeah. to forget that i wanted to capture that yeah. i wanted to i just want whoever reads this book should pause yeah. and look outside his or her window and just look at what's yeah. happening outside on the tree or okay. on the you know yeah. the bird's nest I, i i just that's what i want yeah yeah uh, in fact i love the preamble you set forth right in the beginning i mean on page 7 you write a wild animal requires acceptance for what it is not enslavement for what it what we want it to be this is part of the most profound truth of the wild and the world at large that we are a part of it not its owners and it's a tone that permeates his entire yeah. book i mean it was it a very conscious thing you did i mean that you want to reiterate the fact that we are yeah. all part of nature like what you said in the previous answer yes absolutely and i think it's also because i'm a woman and because you know when you are a young woman in yeah. india you grow up and everyone is telling you what to do all the time and uh, you know people yeah. want to own you and they want to have ownership of what you do and they want to yeah. there are these codes of conduct for women and especially in wildlife conservation yes. and i'm sure sports women yeah. will tell you the same thing as well you know if a yeah. woman is true, doing true. something that's slightly different you know she's always told how yeah. to behave what her boundaries are and i obviously mm. uh, rebel against that and i also feel great empathy mm. for wild animals in the way that we try to mold them in the way that we want so it's okay if the tigers in the forest in in the tiger reserve but it can't come out yeah. uh, it can't go anywhere yeah. else you know it's okay if you know the elephant is kind of you know very far away from us it shouldn't come in our fields and i think uh yeah. nature is much bigger than that and uh right yeah. now as we are speaking uh there was a huge forest fire in odisha there was another forest fire in bandhavgarh uh you know there's been yeah. this huge glacier break in uttarakhand which caused a flood yeah. and of course we're still yeah. not recovered from a man made pandemic and you know yes. we keep having these disasters and we keep you know feeling bad and we keep forgetting about it but actually yeah, you know true. in our country we are constantly mm-hmm. absorbing one disaster after the other which is connected with nature and still we think that you know we are better than nature and we can control it and i think the way to work with this is to kind of work along with natural structures instead of trying to change them so much you know whether it's you know yeah. uh, completely changing the shoreline on the coast which should never be done or whether it's mining the mountains like example is true, the chardham highway where you know the mountain has been broken to create this large highway 
there been many avalanches yeah. because of that and uh i just think that you know going back to what i was saying about codes of conduct we do try to control everything yeah. right so society tries to control women yeah. or tries to control certain communities and i think you know the same kind of approach is there for wildlife as well you know we want to control it and as long as it's in the forest it's fine it's picturesque the moment it leaves yeah. the forest you know it's it's a pest it's unwanted and we need to understand yeah. the drivers yeah. as to why they've come out of the forest instead of just you know trying to uh, yeah, control exactly. control it yeah. in the way that we do and i think okay. you know this year 2021 when we are still kind of far away from each other because of covid i mean if we yeah, don't true. realize that we don't own nature this year i don't know when <laughs> we are going to realize that the the writing was fabulous uh but i mentioned in the review too uh, be it the metaphors used the similes employed how did you arrive at your writing style i mean i saw a lot of ruskin bomb uh, the kind in which he does his in- intimate portraits of nature as he observes things in the himalayas i mean this was wildlife writing according to me aspiring to be literature and it's a very high benchmark and you scaled it so how did you go about this that is such a compliment thank you so much i have thanked ruskin bond in this book because he's such an inspiration yeah i know i read that me. yeah you know true, true, true. i think ruskin bond has this talent of making the ordinary completely extraordinary so yeah, um, I, know. Uh, i you know i just had to work very hard at uh, creating this this tone and i just i think you know for me it's, it was really important that it should the writing quality should be very good i think we're living in an okay. age where there's a lot of information so you can google indian elephant yeah. and find everything what does a book give True. a book gives some perspective and i think you know yeah. it should hopefully give good writing so uh, yeah, intimacy is definitely you know one of the ways that i approached uh, intimacy with the subject a kind of almost like a sensuousness or almost like a uh, it's just like a kind of closeness you feel towards the subject uh, in which uh, it it feels like a character so the animal is like a character yeah. in the story you know it's no longer a non human yeah. but something much closer and i think it's yeah. also because i kind of tend to look at the natural world with a lot of enchantment i find it to be very yeah. fascinating because every time i observe nature i find something that i had didn't know before and feeling that sense of awe feeling like something is bigger than me you know i think yeah. that kind of reflects in the writing i i wanted to i know that it makes me sound quite goofy or <laughs> quite uh, somebody you know uh, said to me the other day a man on the internet said to me the other day that you should shouldn't remain in a disney world so i you know to which i think my answer is a lot of the book is very serious a lot in fact i think i'm quite i'm quite serious about many things to do with environment but i also yeah. don't want to lose that sense of enchantment that i do feel when i yeah. see you know even if it's a tiger butterfly in the garden because i just feel yeah. it survives so much you know it's a survivor yeah. and i yeah. i wanted to capture that sense of wonder along with of yeah. course you know the bad things you know the 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 harsh realities so it's kind of like dream and nightmare together yeah i know i, I know. wanted to capture both and okay. uh, i do aspire to be a literary writer Okay. I mean it's it's an important uh, thing for me. It's an important yeah. goal for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely goal to have. You know, in fact in the uh, the chapter headings too, you know, like uh, love in the times of COVID-19. You know, obviously I had to to Gabriel Garcia Marquez yes. or even Don Quixote Cobra. I mean, 
which kind of strangely yeah. reminded me of Kushal Singh's uh, iconic short story, The Mark of Vishnu, which I'm sure yeah. we all have read in school. Yes. Uh, the literary trappings were all over, and it was such a pleasure because sometimes books like this tend to be like NCRT textbooks. You know, <laughs> you get what I mean. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't the case in this. I mean, uh, it was free flowing. It was fluid. Uh, you know, there was a lot of grace and style and dignity and beauty in the way you wrote it. I mean, so I need to compliment you on that. Thank you. Um, the other thing is, the book highlights the beauty innate in wildlife uh, and and the lingering pathos too. I mean, I found the description of of an elephant calf succumbing near the newly laid uh, golf course. I mean, it was heartbreaking for me. This was emotional yeah. writing, and was there some kind of catharsis for you when you put pen to paper when you were dealing with chapters like that or segments like that? Uh, honestly, a lot of the a lot of portions of this book totally broke me when I was writing, and the elephant chapter is actually weeping when I wrote that because yeah, it, in fact, you mentioned it, in the book you said you unraveled. Yeah, 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 absolutely, because everything that they're doing is against the elephant, and we just expect the elephant to run from one place to the other, you know, and to be content sure. with living a life in which it's just running, running all the time for its life. I. Um, I don't have any catharsis because it's still yeah. happening, you yeah. know. Okay. And you know the the incident of with the Kerala uh, elephant, you know, the, yes. the, in which she consumed the uh, this pineapple and it and it blew up yeah. and she died this painful death. You know, yeah. people were really surprised uh, and saddened that a pregnant elephant has died like this. But the fact is, most adult female elephants are either pregnant or lactating, and they have a very yes. long pregnancy. Which yeah. goes on for like uh, twenty-two months, and yeah. once they have their calf, they are suckling their calf, and the calf stays with the mother for a long time. And yeah. so, basically, if you're an adult female elephant, then yeah. you're going to be pregnant, or you're going to be lactating, which also means each you know female elephant that dies is basically the death of a you know a gene pool which would have given yeah. birth or which would have taken care of its young. And they are such sentient animals, and I think everybody who has read this book has said. That the elephant chapters made them cry, and I think it's also because yeah. they they remind us so much of us. They they are so deeply bonded, uh, and know, they're I so know. emotive. You know, you look at an elephant; it feels like a person, right? And yes, true. unfortunately, you know, uh, even though I feel this great love for nature, I I can very well see what we are doing to it. And almost every national board for wildlife meeting clears. These vast areas of forest, and we are basically cutting up elephant habitat yeah. every single day. And we have announcements that are really bold, like we have yeah. the prime minister announcing that we now have 51 tiger reserves. But yeah. just very shortly after that, uh, you know, uh, UP and MP Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh signed uh, an agreement for Cane Betwa River interlinking, which is basically yeah. interlinking Cane River with Betwa. Which is yeah. going to drown a hundred square kilometers of Panna Tiger Reserve, which is basically prime tiger habitat. And the tigers yeah. had gone extinct from Panna, and yeah. they were repopulated. They were brought from another reserve, and it was a long process of rewilding the entire place. And now it yeah. has all these tigers, and hundred um, square kilometers are going to be drowned if the river interlinking takes place. And talking about elephants, you know. They're building. Uh, uh, they they want to expand the airport in um, in Dehradun, which is part of an elephant reserve. Yeah. So Uttarakhand yeah. became the first state in India to denotify their elephant reserve, Shivalik Elephant Reserve. And yeah. like this, road roads, railway lines are coming up every 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 month. 
new proposals yeah. are coming up and as the book shows you know an elephant can do many things but it can't escape mm-hmm. a railway line it can't escape a trench you yeah. know it was not evolved for that and i keep saying this to everybody it they find it hard to believe people find it hard to believe that a tiger would die under a train or an elephant would fall into a pit but actually yeah. you know in medieval times that's how elephants were hunted they would make pits yeah. and the elephant falls in you know because it can't yeah. it's got a big body it can't it's not yeah. nimble it can't you know um, yeah come out once it falls in such a pit and everywhere there's construction sites or open cast mining they yeah. fall in and they all die together this is what breaks my heart because they try to save each other and you know human beings uh, say that i love you i will die for you mm-hmm. elephants actually do you yeah, know, I know. Yes. they actually do die for each other yeah. so, i mean writing a book like this my goal was just i wanted people to see what's happening and there is unfortunately no catharsis but i can just hope that i can just hope more people can actually be aware maybe okay. something changes somewhere in terms of policy making because yeah, sure. a lot of the destruction is state sponsored today unfortunately yeah. that is the truth and yeah, therefore one hopes policy and planning can have a better view i actually work okay. in policy um and uh, i my hope is policy should change yeah okay okay so they have a man losing an arm to a crocodile and, and and yet looking after them uh for all the havoc that mankind wreaks on wildlife there are also people like him and and that's happening and it's also refreshing to see you focus on these feel good stories too like the one about the naga shedding their hunter tag and turning conservators of the amur falcons Yeah. Was it a conscious effort not just to focus on the warts and all but also on the positive news how we're limited in the zone of wildlife conservation? Absolutely. I think uh there's always hope, right? I mean, yeah. I think generally it's bleak but there's always, you know, some hope somewhere in every field. You know, okay. we can say the system is bad but there'll be one individual that's who's amazing, right? And so I mean, I want to showcase reality and reality of course is ugly but it's also they are also people who are exceptions and baba ji sitaram das the man who lost his forearm to the magarmach he's he he has a certain love for uh, for for his crocodiles and i think what a what a love it is you know the love between a man and a reptile you know it's kind of like yes, the yes. most in, implausible right because you know you can yeah. love a tiger you know people have tigers in captivity and the tiger responds yeah. to you yeah. it comes to you it licks your yeah. face you know but if you yeah. love a crocodile like if you're taking care of this crocodile you know it's not going to come rushing up to you it's not going to sh- demonstrate its affection in any way they come okay. when he calls them but they don't do anything okay. else they just come you know mm. but i think it's a kind of acceptance of what they are he understands what they are he understands that they are a certain way they have a certain stoicness they they okay. they just live near him and they both live near each other understanding their boundaries and i know that's kind of love in its purest form in many ways because it's just a total acceptance and the nagas and the amur falcons i think you know i'm really interested in breaking stereotypes and i'm yeah. really interested when you know stereotypes do change because it yeah. does happen right like 50 years ago 60 years ago we were all hunting tigers or at least it was a good thing that was seen as a good thing in india many yeah. families have you know 
ivory or you know tiger skins somewhere you know as heirlooms and now it's totally unacceptable to do that so things yeah. do change it takes time but you know change does happen and the nagas decided not to hunt a moor falcons and you know uh when you talk about nagas to the rest of india first of all they are characterized as these savages who eat anything and uh, they are characterized in a way that makes them seem alien and i think you know we tend to other everybody who is not like us the way we okay. other animals the way we make animals appear to be alien we do the same to people that we don't know well and okay. because the nagas have such a distinct culture that's so different you know from other parts of india we also have characterized nagas as savage people and it is true they have hunting cultures it yeah. is true they eat dogs mm-hmm. but then that's a uh you know the disgust and the morality the moralizing that comes you know that well, how can they eat dogs because we love dogs you know yeah yeah that's yeah. very unnecessary we need to understand context in any yeah. case um there was a conservation intervention in yeah. terms of the fact that you know there were conservation organizations working there yeah. but ultimately the decision was taken by the nagas themselves and yeah. and they actually said that we want to change the story around us you know we don't want people to sh- uh, keep talking about us like we are these savages who are hunting all the time we will show you that we can do things differently we want to write our own okay. story and they decided to stop hunting amur falcons and and i think this is something that really deserves uh, applause because because it's it's that's what real conservation is it's kind of done without the you know awards without the the documentation like even sitaram yeah. das uh, the guy whose hand got eaten he just does it you know it's a way of life for him there are no okay. bells and whistles there are no yeah. you know there are no embellishments okay they they accepted it as part of their life which is actually what true conservation is it's not what i do or yeah. it's not what some other people do in terms of you know an occupation true conservation okay. shouldn't be an occupation it's actually a way of life Okay. So I wanted to showcase that and yes I am also interested in you know challenging dominant paradigms of you know a hunter is a bad person I don't okay. think hunters okay. are bad people I think yeah. we need to understand context Yeah true uh, Neha how do you think India can truly become a wildlife conscious country in the sense that I mean are we in a zone where we speak about project tiger you know maybe pay a visit to Kanha and then say okay there are forest fires the rangers will take care of it Okay, there is wildlife. The NGOs will take care of it. I mean, is there a detached ambivalence among us towards wildlife, or do you see a change for the better? Uh, I think there definitely is an ambivalence, and that's mm. you know really the case of Avni Tigris really showcased that, where you know a lot yeah. of you had a lot of urban people, and yeah. I got a lot of flack for saying that a man-eating tigress should be put down. Yeah. because you know if she's maneating you cannot justify you know it uh, her being there and okay. of course you know one is not blaming the animal because the animal yeah. uh, there certain drivers reasons why it became like that but you yeah. know urban conservationists who say who are basically saying the life of a poor man is yeah. not worth the same as the life of a you know person living in the city that you know it, yeah. all of this happens in in villages where you know yeah. tigers eat people so this yeah. is clearly a kind of classism which i'm completely against and there's a lot of this happening now because you know there are people in cities who want to do something but you know i must urge them to understand you know uh, 
how somebody can is living a very deprived life if there's a dangerous animal and yeah. uh, also you know taking a blessing from an elephant in a temple uh while saying you know while not seeing you know how what has ha- what ha- how did the elephant get there because it's it's a really long and cruel process yeah. in the way the elephant is broken i think we definitely have a bipolar attitude and you know we feed the monkeys and we throw stones yeah. at them you know yeah. you're you're yeah. feeding it in the temple you're stoning it outside the temple i think the point is that it is not somebody else's business it's kind of yeah. each one of us has to uh, has to try to engage as much as possible and you know everybody can't do everything so i would like to start with the state you know my hope is the state needs to put its money where the mouth is because we only okay. talk about wildlife in platitudes so we'll say sustainable okay. development and india should grow sustainably but you know when it comes to the big projects those are the ones that really impact wildlife you know the really okay. big like river interlinking or the really big ports that come up or the really big coal mines that come up these are the ones sure. that we need to reimagine because there's no yeah. looking away from the fact today that the state is the biggest uh, threat to wildlife and yeah. um i you know through the policy you know insights that are there in this book um i want people to understand that decision making needs to take into uh, uh, needs to take into account all the wildlife because okay. we are just pretending the wildlife is not there and then they get really surprised if you know it comes up so you're making yeah, a golf course in kaziranga you know i have nothing against golf mm. why would i you know have anything against a golf course but i just yeah. feel it shouldn't be near kaziranga it shouldn't be in kaziranga's no development zone because yeah. there's a reason that place has been protected and uh, uh i think the logic uh, yeah. logic needs to come in terms of thinking about what are the animals in the area okay. and uh, thinking how the animal uses the landscape so okay. you know if you're making a big road you need to consider how the animal will cross the road and what we do right now is that we take a road or we take a bridge or whatever project we are making and we just put it there without okay. looking at the area around it and oh, yeah. then when it gets flooded or then when animals come we get very surprised yeah. so because we still have so much wildlife i think it's really yeah. important that ecological concerns have to be mainstreamed there's no other way and i, I think you know i think our life would just be poorer also if we didn't have this Yeah, kind of true, true. uh wildlife and nature in our lives yeah. so thanks for this wonderful conversation neha and for our listeners i mean do read wild and willful it will surely make you look at wildlife with a fresh perspective thank you so much neha it's a pleasure talking to you thank you for having me thank you for listening to the hindu on books You can now find the Hindu's podcasts such as In Focus and Parley on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at socmed4 s o c m e d4 at the rate thehindu.co.in. 